This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, The Hartford, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, it's one of the most famous legal cases in the world. An elderly woman buys a cup of coffee at McDonald's, spills it all over her lap, then sues and wins millions of dollars. Of course, many of you remember that. It caused a lot of outrage uh, all around the country. A lot of late-night comics made a living off of it. But it also contributed to some uh, really dramatic changes in the law. And uh, there's actually a lot more to the story. So today on Ringler Radio, we're going to talk to the producer and director of the fascinating documentary, Hot Coffee. For the background of what's become basically a notorious case, and then look at some examples of how individuals are being treated in other aspects of our current civil justice system. And we'll also take a look at uh, tort reform. And essentially, we'll answer the question, was it enacted to free our court system from frivolous lawsuits, or was it passed more to help out corporate America? And to help us in our efforts, we're joined by my friend, my Ringler colleague from uh, Beaverton, Oregon, Nolan Robinson. Nolan's been with Ringler for over uh, 10 years, helping to resolve all kinds of litigation with tax-free structured settlements, all while living in that beautiful Pacific Northwest, Nolan. I think that's a pretty nice place to be these days. Not a bad place at all. Thanks for having me, Larry. Terrific. And our special guest today is Susan Saladoff. Uh, Susan is a former personal injury lawyer, where uh, I knew her in a past life, and Today, she's a documentary director and producer, and uh, that's quite an evolution. Her, her documentary, Hot Coffee, premiered at the Sundance Film Festival last year, was purchased by HBO. Hot Coffee has won many awards, most recently a 2012 TV Academy Honors Award given by the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, and this award honors programs that inspire, inform, motivate, and even change lives. So uh, with that, welcome to Ring the Radio, Susan. That's quite a uh, quite a transition from the legal uh, area to uh, film documentary producer and director. Yes, thank you, Larry. It's it's good to be here. Well, I'm uh, awfully glad to have you. And uh, let's let's remind our listeners, Susan, about what exactly happened in this in this coffee case uh, involving 79 year old Stella Liebeck. Uh, and the McDonald's Corporation. Right. So Stella, uh, as you just said, was 79 years old. She had never brought a lawsuit a day in her life. She had just retired from, from working for many, many years. And she moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where her family was. And um, on this uh, infamous day, she was a passenger in a parked car. Uh, well, actually, she, she, her grandson was driving a car. They went through a McDonald's and ordered a, um, a breakfast with a cup of coffee. And it was... 
not the kind of cups that are used today. It was one of those old-fashioned white styrofoam cups with the little plastic top with that triangular thing that no one could ever open. Right. And um, she ordered coffee black. Uh, well, actually, she ordered cream and sugar, but they put it in the in the bag. Um, and then her grandson pulled into a parking spot, parked the car, and she didn't have any... There were no cup holders in the car because it was an old-fashioned car, and so she steadied the cup between her knees on the seat to try to open the top to put the cream and sugar in. And when she took the top off, the cup literally collapsed. The coffee pooled in her in her crotch. It was between 180 and 190 degrees Fahrenheit. And we know that because that's the policy that McDonald's had to hold their coffee at that temperature when they were serving it. And what they knew... Um, at the time they were serving this coffee through the drive-through at this uh, temperature, was that it would cause third-degree burns, which are the worst kinds of burns you can have, within, within three to seven seconds of contact. And uh, so Mrs. Liebeck couldn't get out of the hot liquid quickly enough uh, to to prevent her from getting these horrific burns, which you can see in the film. They are really beyond beyond description over you know on a, on a radio show. I mean, when people see these burns. There is an audible gasp, um, and and they were so bad that she needed to have skin grafting, literally skin taken from her thighs and sewn inside her private parts. And all she wanted, all she asked for, was the difference between what her medical bills were and what Medicare paid. And McDonald's offered her $800, never offered her another penny, even though she was incapacitated for almost two years. And the jury was a unanimous verdict. And they gave her her medical bills and pain and suffering, and then the big number, which everybody you know says, oh, she got millions. She got two point seven million dollars for what they call punitive damages, which was a punishment for McDonald's for uh, knowing that they were harming people like this. Um, but that number, which sounds so great, was two days of coffee sales for McDonald's. Interesting. And, and then the judge reduced the verdict which uh, nobody knows about, uh, unless you see the film for the most part, reduced it to $480,000, and then they settled for an undisclosed amount of money. But she was subject to a mm-hmm. gag order, and, and McDonald's wasn't. Well, you know, obviously the thing that's most often said about the case, unfairly, obviously, is, is that it was frivolous. You know, and the award, the award was ridiculous and, and excessive. Um, you know, what, what do you think about those kinds of comments? Susan? Well, I mean, most people think that it's frivolous because, oh, they thought, oh, she just spilled a cup of coffee on herself. You know, she wasn't very uh, severely injured and she won millions of dollars. And that's the myth that was portrayed by the media um, and and fed uh, to the media by public relations firms. Um, What people don't know is at the time that this verdict came out, which was in 1994, which is hard to believe, you know, that it was so long ago and we're still talking about it. Um, But in 1994, uh, President Clinton was in office, but the Congress flipped Republican in the fall of 1994, and Newt Gingrich became the first Republican Speaker of the House in 40 years. Exactly. And he had his contract with America. And if people remember that, he had these things that he was going to get done in the first 100 days of the, ninth, of, the of the Congress that was starting in 1995. And one of them was what he called uh, legal reform, or what we now know as tort reform, which is really uh, amazing to me that everybody has heard this term, but most people have no idea what a tort is, let alone know what tort reform is, and yet people have very strong feelings about it. And so in his contract with America, he wanted to put caps or limits – 
mm-hmm. on the amount of money that people can get in cer- uh, for certain types of things in these lawsuits. And so when this verdict came out in the fall of 1994, it was like scooped up as part of this massive public relations campaign to convince the public that the system is broken and that we have too many frivolous lawsuits, jackpot justice, the lawsuit lottery, all these terms that were, that were literally market tested and then fed through these public relations firms and not directly by, oh yeah, you know, those insurance companies that are, you know, sponsoring this show, but, but, but in these front groups called like Citizens for a Safer Community or Citizens right. for Something. There were no citizens in these groups. They right. were literally manufactured by these public relations firms. Okay. And they had so much money to, to, to put out the message over and over again. So, Susan, what have you learned as you, as you have uh, evolved in understanding what exactly happened back then? What have you learned about how the media gets manipulated to present this point of view? I mean, obviously, this was a, uh, a calculated – it became the poster child for, for, as you said, the Newt Gingrich uh, approach. But the media fell into that. And uh, what, what did it teach you about the, well, way, the you know, way the media works. One of the things at the end of the film, I, I, I have these um, sort of action items that we have on our website. And, and one of the things I say is that we need to be savvy consumers of the media. Because the media, for the most part, at this point, there's so much like information that's flying quickly, quickly, quickly. And the media doesn't have the time, necessarily, or take the time to really go in and find out whether or not the information that's being fed to them is accurate. And so what happened in this case is that they were fed this information, and it was sort of like whispered down the lane. You know, like one, one media outlet reported that she was driving the car. I mean, Jane Pauley who was substituting for Tom Brokaw on the NBC Nightly News the night that this verdict came out, reported to the world that this woman was driving the car. Yeah, with, the, with the, coffee the coffee between her legs. I remember that whole, that whole uh, way it was depicted. But, right. but in, in essence, what we're seeing here is, you mentioned it just now. I mean, today it's a 24-7 cycle. Uh, someone wants to be first with whatever information they have without the fact-checking, and it's a headline-grabbing world out there. So you can imagine that what happened to her uh, doesn't even have to be that extensive today to get that kind of headline. Well, I mean, we know that just, I mean, even in, you know, recent things that, that come out, I mean, this, this whole thing that happened in Colorado recently, I mean, the news, they're like reporting things that they don't even have confirmation of just because they want to be the first to report it, as you said. And so what I tell people is that if things sound, particularly in this area, if it sounds crazy, it probably is. You know, people hear the, the, the stories all the time. In fact, um, there is this website that goes out to people regularly. They call it the, the Stella Awards. And uh, insultingly, it's named after Stella Liebeck, and it's put out by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and their Institute for Legal uh, Reform, which is their sort of uh, arm that is their tort reform arm. And just for your listeners um, who, who haven't seen the movie, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is not a government entity. It is the largest lobbying group for corporations in this country and if not the world. And, um, and they put out... Um, these 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 craziest lawsuits, like oh, did you hear the one about you know the guy's driving uh, an RV and he puts it on cruise control and he goes back and makes a cup of coffee and he gets into an accident and then he sues the company. If it sounds crazy, it probably is. <laughs> these things are made up out of whole cloth just to incite 
people and to make people believe that we have a broken legal system. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, that was one of my favorite parts about the movie as well, was those man-on-the-street interviews and, you know, where we, you sort of exposed, uh, you know, the myths or, or, you know, really how little we know about the civil justice system. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure you agree with that. Why do you think that is? Is it is it just the media? Is there more to it? And and what can we do to educate them? People don't. I think most people don't even think or care about the, the our legal system and particularly the civil justice system unless it affects us personally. Until it's you or your family or a friend who's been injured in some way, and then you try to use the system, and for the first time you realize it's not really there for you that it's been taken away. And it's really, what's interesting is I say that it's been taken away, but the truth is, is that we've given it away. We have signed away our rights and contracts. We vote away our rights by by uh, electing representatives who 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 put caps on damages. Um, sometimes we even vote for constitutional amendments on the ballot that take away our rights. And the reason that we do that is because we're fed this information over and over again through so much media uh, and the money that's being spent by these uh, by large corporations to feed this information to us and consumer groups. Um, advocacy groups who represent uh, people, the environment, we don't have the, those people don't have the kind of money to combat the messaging that is being put out by these large corporations. And so people buy into it and then they vote away their rights, they sign away their rights, and then when it has, something bad happens to them, for the first time, they go, wait a second, I thought I lived in a democracy. You know, I don't, I'm not the one with the frivolous lawsuits, that's that person. Right. You know, why can't I get my right, you know, ha- have justice done? Well, you know, this case, the coffee case, is a great example of what happens in America when, as you said, the media takes it and, and interest groups want to make use of it. But it also highlights the whole area of what we call tort reform and, and how certain elements of society want certain things done in the area of tort reform. We're going to talk about a couple of cases that where, where that happened and, and get your opinion and, and conversation about that. One of the cases that stood out in the documentary that you made is the Colin Gurley case. Tell us about uh, that case and how it affects this caps on damages. So Colin and uh, uh, is one of an uh, of, of an identical uh, twins. I mean, he's he he and, and his brother are identical twins. Um, his parents um, live in Nebraska, uh, and in Nebraska. Um, they have a cap on all damages, which means that if something bad happens to you in a medical malpractice case in Nebraska, you have a limit on the total amount of money that you can receive for both economic damages like your medical bills, your wage loss, and on non-economic damages like pain and suffering. Um, Lisa Gorley was pregnant with identical twins, and she noticed that uh, that the the boys stopped that the twins stopped moving. Uh, she went to her doctor. And uh, the doctor uh, committed malpractice. I mean, it was determined by a jury that the doctor did not do what she was supposed to do. What was happening was that one baby was getting everything and the other baby was getting nothing. It's called a twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. Mm -hmm. And the evidence was there, but the doctor didn't do the tests that needed to be done to to make that diagnosis. And so when these boys were born... um, uh, Connor was born perfectly healthy, but Colin was born with severe uh, cerebral palsy. 
and uh, they brought a medical malpractice case, and the jury came back with a verdict to to compensate the family and to basically give Colin medical uh, care for the rest of his life, and that was five point six five million dollars. Mm-hmm. But the jury had to reduce the verdict. Well, actually, the jury didn't know this, but the judge then reduced the verdict to the maximum at the time, which was one point two five million which meant that the taxpayers have to t- pick up the tab because it's not like this kid isn't going to need this care for the rest of his life. He's going to need it, but instead of, of the responsible person and the responsible insurance company taking care of this child, now you and I, through our tax dollars, through Medicaid, are taking care of this child. And so I uh, uh, documented in this film what are caps on damages? What do they really mean? How do they affect real people? And are the myths about them, like that they're you know, causing insurance rates to go up, they're causing doctors' insurance rates to go up, they're causing our health care rates to go up, whether or not those are true? Mm-hmm. And most, the answer is, is they're not. In those states where they have enacted caps on damages and other types of these limits, the insurance rates continue to rise, and doctors' insurance uh, um um, premiums continue to rise. They don't come down. It just means that the insurance companies make more money. Hmm. Well, is that the you know totality of the defense for for limits, or or uh, do they have you know other means of of defending those you know the supporters of tort reform? Well, the the thing that's so crazy about it is that usually the the argument is as well it prevents frivolous lawsuits from getting you know large you know crazy verdicts. Well, by definition. A case where a jury, after listening to both sides of the issue, it's not like they're only hearing one side, they're hearing both sides, come to a verdict. And the verdict is so high that it, that, that it needs to be capped to a lower amount because of these caps. Mm-hmm. Well, by definition, how could that be a frivolous lawsuit? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like the jury's heard the, ver- heard the evidence and they've given a verdict. And the verdict is a, a significant amount. So how could that be frivolous? Yeah. And so those and the other arguments that they make are, oh, as I said, you know, these doctors' insurance premiums are so high. Doctors are leaving the area in places where they have these um, un, unlimited amounts of money. And the evidence that you see in the film, and also if you were to go onto our website, is just the opposite. In those places like Texas, for example, they've had a cap of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on pain and suffering in medical malpractice cases in Texas since two thousand three. And the argument was that it would reduce reduce health care costs. And health care costs have gone up higher than the national average in two, since two thousand three in Texas. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, another standout case that you featured in the film involves uh, another issue, and that you, you talked about Jamie Lee Jones and her case centered around forced arbitration clauses in contracts. And that's another very controversial area. Tell us about the case and how it pertains to uh, the Seventh Amendment right to trial by jury and how that conflicts with these arbitration clauses that are being, you know, more and more put into these contracts. So I document um, the story of Jamie Lee Jones, which is an example of something that we are all doing every day. She had an employment contract with Halliburton, and she ha- and they put in an, a, what's, a, what's called a mandatory arbitration clause in the contract. And for your listeners, every single contract, for the most part, that you are being asked to sign today has one of these clauses in it. Anything you buy online, you can't buy it until you check off that little box that, say I, that says, I agree to the terms and conditions. And nobody reads that. you know. <laughs> but why should you? If you read it, you can't understand it. And even if you understood it, what are you going to do? You can't buy the right. product unless you, you, you check off the box. You know, every real estate contract, every mortgage contract, even your gym membership contract, your car loan contract, all of these things now have these mandatory arbitration clauses in them. Well, what do they mean? 
It means that before you ever know that you're ever going to have a dispute with this entity that you're now contracting with, you have signed away your constitutional rights to bring a lawsuit against them if anything happens. And so if you do have a problem and, and they defraud you out of, you know, let's say you know, your, your uh, phone company decides to, to charge you an extra $40 or an extra whatever on your bill, and you go, wait a second, I don't know that money. Well, they say, well, we're, pay it or we're going to turn off your phone. Well, you want to sue them. Well, now you have agreed, and by the way, it's in contracts that you don't even sign, like your cell phone or your credit cards. Just by using the product, you're agreeing to this. And what it means is that now that you have a dispute, the company picks the decision maker, pays for the decision maker. The decision maker doesn't have to give a reason why he or she comes up with the decision. It's completely secretive, and there's no right to appeal. So who wins? Yeah. I don't win. You don't win because we're one-time people. You know, we go before, you know, we have one claim. But AT&T, you know, General Electric, whoever, they hire these people over and over again. And the decision maker or these arbitrators, they have an incentive to rule in the favor of the company that's paying for them because they want to get paid again and be hired again. And so over 90% of the time, the consumer loses and these companies win. And this is happening. This is like the newest and, 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 uh, and way. Uh, it's really the newest type of tort reform. And just for your listeners, you know, tort reform means that you are essentially giving up your rights to access the court system. And what that means is that the companies that pollute our waters, that make products that harm us, they now have a limit on how much money you can ever receive from them. And so they are limiting their liability and limiting your right to get access to, the, to, to justice in our legal system. Well, it's obviously a, a hot-button issue uh, and a lot of discussion around that. And I know in, in all of the areas of tort reform that are being discussed, that arbitration clause issue always gets, gets mentioned. And uh, I don't know where it's headed, and maybe none of us do, but uh, it's a very Well, can I say issue. something about that, actually? Sure. Where it's headed, hopefully, is if everyone who listens to this contacts as their congressperson or their senator, there's a bill pending in Congress called the Arbitration Fairness Act. And that bill will get these clauses out of our contracts. And for those of you who now see these in your contracts, cross them out and put your initials next to them. Negotiate to take them out. Say something, do something. Most people don't say anything. They're like, you know, we just, they sign away their rights and they don't say anything about it. But once we start complaining and we say, we're not going to sign this contract or we're going to go to a different real estate uh, person instead of you, if you have this in there, then they'll start coming out. Well, there's a lot more to talk about with this. And we're going to take a quick break right now and come right back with Susan and with uh, Nolan and get back into this issue of uh, tort reform and also talk a little bit more about this uh, very famous hot coffee case and the hot coffee movie. We'll be right back. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Wrinkler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. We invite you to listen to our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? 
Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Think you might like to have us create your own podcast on LegalTalkNetwork.com? Go to the website and send us an email. Or just give us a call at 781-551-9960. It's the best move you'll make in legal marketing. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, here with my co-host Nolan Robinson. And we're talking about the uh, terrific HBO documentary movie Hot Coffee with the producer and director Susan Saladoff. Uh, Susan's also a former personal injury lawyer, and I hope uh, you all remember that because uh, she has some very specific ideas about the law and where it's headed. So let's get back to our conversation. You know, Susan, let me ask you kind of a little bit off-the-topic question. What made you make the switch from, you know, injury personal injury lawyer to filmmaker, and how did, uh, how did that get its start? Well, I actually did not set out to become a filmmaker. I just had something to say. I mm-hmm. mean, the issues that are in this film, I've known and, and been, you know, just like all the lawyers who are out there who ever try cases, um, I mean, these issues never go away. And the, the public has a completely distorted view of our civil justice system. I mean, they believe what they're being fed uh, time and time again. And I knew this, and I knew how important the civil justice system is. And I kept waiting for someone else to set the record straight. You know, I kept waiting for, you know, all these groups or other organizations or people, someone else to do this, and, and nobody was doing it. Yeah, and, but, but making a movie is, a, you know, I can understand someone wanting to write an article about it or maybe even write a, a, a book about it, but making a movie is a, is a whole craft in itself and, and moving in that direction. How did you, how did you come to that decision to say, I'm going to make a movie about this? Well, I love documentary films. Mm-hmm. There's a um, wonderful film festival in, in the town that I live in, and I saw a lot of documentary films, and I thought that it was a great medium to get information out to people. And I had made a few short um, little films of cases of mine, you know, sort of not like Day in the Lives. They were, more, they were a little bit more like short documentaries mm-hmm. of severely injured clients when I could not convey the injury uh, to the other side, and so I would put it in film, and I realized how effective storytelling is yes. through vis- through a visual means and through through film. And so I decided I was going to take a year off from my practice of law, and I was going to make a documentary film. And I did not have any real experience. I surrounded myself with you know people who um, like I mean from the technical point of view I mean I surrounded mm-hmm. myself with a wonderful cinematographer and audio people and I, I hired a terrific editor but the stories are stories that I knew I mean not the specific characters that are in it but I wrote an outline of the film of what I wanted to convey and I just 
You know, I believe in intention. I believe that, you know, my intention was to change the conversation about the civil justice system. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't know exactly how that I was going to do that, but I had a true intention. And I just thought if I put 100% of myself into every moment and really just stay focused, that the rest will work itself out. I got this great piece of advice. Um, The person said, don't judge your success by the outcome, just enjoy the process. And so I just enjoyed every moment of it, learned every step of the way, and look what happened. Yeah, well, it's a pretty inspirational story. I I want to – that's an adjunct to this whole legal uh, conversation. But just you you making that change in direction and doing what you wanted to do and then changing – really changing your life as well as other people's lives is a terrific, terrific story. Well, I appreciate that. But you know what the other thing is? I've been traveling around the world with the film, and afterwards I do a lot of you know, Q&As, and I talk to hundreds of people. And what I'm realizing is that people are really hungering for the truth, mm-hmm. and that they're, they have been fed so, much, uh, so many lies and deceptions and manipulated for so many years, and that when someone actually says something that's truthful... And like, you know, that, and they can see it. Like even in the film, people tell me, look, yeah, I know you have a point of view. There's no question that I have a point of view. But I say it from my heart, from a place of real conviction. And people listen to that because it's so refreshing to them. And they're hungering to hear something that's like, oh my goodness, you know, this isn't like based on a bunch of, uh, of, of distortions. This is, this is real. And that's why I think that there's been such a great response to the film. Mm, terrific. Yeah, it is a great movie. I I, I enjoyed it so much. But uh, I, now I'm going to ask some some purposely loaded questions. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> go uh, for it. Yeah. So I mean, the first is why is tort reform bad? Or and and, and frankly, is there anything is there anything positive you know for consumers as a result of tort reform? And then the second question is, are there are there any really frivolous lawsuits? And, and what happens when someone brings a lawsuit that, that frankly has no merit? All right. So the first question is, you know, tort reform. So first of all, a tort is a civil harm. When someone has harmed you and you have uh, suffered damages or injuries as a result of that, that's a tort, okay, in our civil justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, tort reform, and reform is a funny word. It's being used, what, as sort of the catch-all phrase for anything that people are trying to get change these days. And, and, and the perception is that reform is a good thing. In this case, reform is not a good thing for average citizens. It's really great for corporations and for those people who make products that harm us and want to limit their exposure to actually have to, to, to compensate people when they've harmed us. Or like BP, when they dump you know, millions of gallons of oil into, our, into the Gulf, you know, if they don't want to be held accountable, tort reform is great for them. But is it good for the people who were injured? Is it good for those fishermen? Is it good for the restaurants? No, it's not. Because what tort reform is, is it is a limitation on people's ability to get justice in our legal system. And where else do we have as average citizens to get justice? Where can we hold wrongdoers accountable? Nowhere except in our civil justice system. And so if, we, if the civil justice system is being taken away from us through this so-called tort reform, then we get screwed and corporations get to make more money. And that's the bottom line. And so is it good for us? Not good for me, not good for you, but, you know, I guess it's in the eye of the beholder. And as a, 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 in terms of frivolous lawsuits, look, we can't prevent any one of us 
from bringing a lawsuit for the most ridiculous thing in the world, right? I could trip over my own, like, uh, my own shoestring and, and, and bring a lawsuit against, you know, uh, uh, the manufacturer of my house or something. It's ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? But what, am I going to find a lawyer? No. If I brought the lawsuit, is a judge going to let me sustain it and even get to a jury? No. If I even got past the judge and got to a jury, is a jury going to award damages for that? No. Even if the, the jury awarded damages for it, is it going to be held on a, up and on, on appeal? No. I mean, there are so many checks and balances in the system. And they're, they're you know, not starting with, with lawyers who literally only make money if they win cases in, these, in this area. So why would they bring a case that's frivolous? Yeah. Insurance companies aren't going to pay them. You know, the jury's not going to pay for a frivolous lawsuit. So, you know, are there cases that, that, that fall through the cracks, that get into the system that people think are frivolous? Once we know the true facts of the case, chances are it was a real case. Well, you know, that actually makes me think of another question then. So if tort reform restricts uh, you know, a plaintiff's right to, you know, recover, or, or I know some of some tort reform is trying to limit the amount that attorneys can receive as their compensation. Uh, it seems to me then that probably some people who are not going to get a good attorney to take their case because uh, they, they frankly, even even someone who has a case with merit, because suddenly that attorney's afraid. You know, listen, I'm going to spend a lot of money to to try this case, and if I don't get a good recovery for you, then I end up losing money. I, it seems to me there's actually some some very distinct uh, damage that is done to the civil justice system in that case. No question about it. Take California for example. California has had a cap of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on pain and suffering in medical malpractice cases since the nineteen seventies. All right? It's never been increased. What that means is that if you are injured in a medical malpractice case in California or in any of these other states where there are, are uh, limits on the, uh, they, they have these one size fits all caps, unless you are a person who, who makes a lot of money and you've lost a lot of money because you've been out of work, um, you know, you don't, um, you may not be able to find a lawyer because it, these cases cost that much money to bring. It could cost $200,000 to bring a medical malpractice case. And if you're a, a child or an elderly person or a homemaker, you know, who doesn't work outside the home and the absolute maximum that you can ever receive, no matter what's happened to you, you could have lost a leg, an eye, lost the ability to have children, you know, horrendous things that are clearly worth, you know, more than this amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, because the system is intended to, to make us whole, you know, it's like, it's, it's, and so the point is, is that you're right. You may not be able to find a lawyer because lawyers can't afford to take many of these cases when there are these caps because the cases cost so much money. They take so many years to pursue and juries are brainwashed because everything we're talking about right now, now that they tend to to side in favor of the uh, of the doctor or the healthcare provider or oftentimes the defendant and so it's a very high risk uh, right. uh, uh, profession and many people cannot find a lawyer when they have legitimate cases well you know that that's a good point but let's look at it from a different perspective for a second and that is you're a keen observer of the law you've been, you've been involved in it and yet for that pretty large segment of the population that says, you know, the, the justice system, at least on the civil side, seems a little skewed or, 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 or amiss. Maybe the tort reform that 
you know, you mentioned the ca- the caps and the and the and the uh, arbitration clauses, and some of those issues are are somewhat onerous. What do you? F- but what do you feel can be done to change, uh, tweak the system to make it maybe work a little bit better, a little bit more effective and efficiently for for all parties? Is are there any any elements that you you've looked at and said you know these may be good ideas to pursue? Well, see, I, I you know I, I'm going to challenge you on that, mm-hmm. right? I'm going to challenge you because I think that that question is a question that's basically bought into the myth. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like you sort of drank the Kool-Aid by Mm -hmm. the fact that you asked the question the way you did. (laughs) Um, And so I want to know, let's talk about what specific things are you referring to? You know, like, are there, are you saying that there are uh, verdicts that are out there that are not legitimate? Are you saying that, that, you know, small businesses aren't able to make their pro? I mean, what is it that you're really asking me? Because you're asking me like this sort of catch-all question. Well, I guess it is uh, somewhat of a catch-all question, so let me try and uh, be a little more specific. I have a doctor friend, uh, for example, who's a radiologist and uh, who was sued, and of course, in his eyes, uh, the suit was unreasonable, but beyond that, He's, he feels it has an impact, it has had an impact on his malpractice premiums and uh, as well as a, a lot of other doctors. And therefore, he feels there's a negative effect, kind of a stifling effect on the profession. And maybe we're going to end up with fewer doctors and the doctors perhaps that remain aren't going to be as good. So let me ask it this way. Do you see any element in that argument that might be valid? So, so that's the uh, that that argument is is um, is one I hear something about defensive medicine argument, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Okay. Um, was... And the other argument I'm hearing is is that you know that the doctor is being sued so many times, and so he's going to be put out of business. So the question I want to know is why is he being sued so many times? Well, I didn't mean that he um, was sued that many times, but in other words, doctors are being sued for medical malpractice, and I guess the question is, do they have an argument? Uh, the argument they provide is that their premiums are so high because they're being sued for what they consider to be some unreasonable error. So, you know, look, I understand you can have both sides of an argument here, but if the result is that many more people aren't going to pursue the medical profession or those that do aren't going to, aren't going to be as talented, is that an unintended consequence perhaps of the current system? And therefore, can the system be tweaked somewhat? So I, I would argue with you that there are more doctors coming into the profession, that there are doctors coming into every state that's increasing. Um, You know, am I going to tell you that that the system is perfect? Of course not. I mean, I'm sure that there are ways that every system can be tweaked. Um, I just don't think taking away people's rights to access the court system is the right way to do it. Well, that is an interesting point of view. uh, But obviously, there are people that have arguments on the other side. And, uh, you know, I know they're being heard, believe me. Sometimes they're being distorted to the detriment of the public. But there is another side. And in fairness, I'm just trying to raise some of those issues for our discussion. I think that the system works. I think that our, that our civil justice system, with 12 people sitting as our jury, with the checks and balances that we have, I think it works. I think it works more for the defendants than it does for the plaintiffs. That's what I think. Well, let me talk about your movie for a second and ask you whether you've had criticism of your movie by by certain parties. What what have you been hearing about your movie, both positive and let's say 
uh, on the other side of that equation? Well, the only real negative anything has come from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce because I've exposed them in the film. Um, as I said before, most people don't have any idea what the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is. They think it's a U.S. government entity that deals with commerce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when, in fact, it's the largest lobbying group uh, uh, for corporations in, in this country, if not the world. And I expose that in the film. And the chamber, uh, you know, has their has a an interest. Um, they have, in fact, an entire um, entity that's one of their subsidiaries called the Institute for Legal Reform, and they've now put out um, uh, a six part mini series called um, HotCoffeeTruth.com, which is uh, and people should check it out. I mean, I encourage people to see both sides of this issue, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it's their attempt to say that my film is one-sided and that there's another side of the story. And I do not argue with them about that. That one point is that is my film one-sided? Yes, it tells my, it tells my side of the story because everybody knows the other side. It tells the plaintiff side. It tells the consumer side. It tells the side of the story that no one has ever heard for 25 years because this side of the story, the people, as I said earlier, didn't have the money to be able to get this information out. And so everybody knows about, you know, what they want to say, that there are, you know, too many frivolous lawsuits, jackpot justice, greedy trial lawyers. But very people, few people have heard the consumer side of the issue. And so what I say is that, you know, when I'm trying a case, or if whenever any lawyer is trying a case, before you would ask a, a jury to render a verdict, you'd want to hear both sides of the issue. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm asking people, listen to this side, listen to that side, and then come up with your, with your verdict. Come up with your opinion, but at least now have an intelligent opinion that's based on all the information and just not on one side of the information. Well, that's a fair, that's a fair way to approach it and a fair way to look at it. And Let's wrap up the show with one final question for you, Susan, and that is, uh, what else is on your horizon? Can we look forward to some other films? Are you, are you working on anything else? Yeah, I'm working actually on a, on a feature narrative film uh, um, uh, on one of the storylines that's in Hot Coffee, and I'm also working on a documentary right now that I'm just in the early stages of. Um, but, uh, but can I tell people where they can see the film? Well, you're, absolutely. I, wanna, I wanted to ask you that. Where can people see the film and where can they uh, get a hold of you if they want to? Yeah. So the, the, the best place, if you have any information, uh, have any questions, is to go to our website, which is hotcoffeethemovie.com. Mm-hmm. And on that website, not only do we have action items so that people, once they see the film and they get angry, because most people, after they see the film, they get really pissed off and they <laughs> want to do something. Mm-hmm. And so we have a take action page on that website. We also have where you can find the DVD. If you'd like to purchase the DVD, you can get it there. Mm-hmm. If you want to see it online, um, HBO um, still has has it on HBO Go, which is their streaming equivalent of Netflix, and so mm-hmm. HBO Go is, it, uh, has it available. You can get it on Netflix, but through a DVD. It's not streaming on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. And then you can get it on iTunes, Amazon, um, PlayStation. You can get it on Xbox. Uh, so it's, it's out there. Uh, and if you have any interest in getting multiple copies, like there are many people who want to buy bulk copies and give it out, um, just contact us at hotcoffeethemovie at gmail.com. Okay. Well, that's, that sounds terrific. Uh, can we expect to see you on the red carpet, Susan? Oh, I've already been on the red carpet, but thank you. Oh. <laughs> well, unless Joan Rivers describes what you're wearing, I'm not sure it's official. Uh-huh. She, she, was, she was also excellent on the Colbert Report. Thank you. Well, listen, uh, Nolan, thank you again for being our co-host. Uh, where can people reach you, Nolan? 
Well, again, ringlerassociates.com. Uh, find me there and, and at uh, uh, N. Robinson at ringlerassociates.com. Well, that's terrific. And uh, anyone can reach any Ringler Associate on ringlerassociates.com. And you can hear this program, this uh, quite interesting and provocative program with Susan on uh, legaltalknetwork.com or ringlerassociates.com. And we'll uh, look forward, Susan, to your next uh, next venture. I'm, I'm looking forward to not only seeing it, but maybe talking to you again about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, for the rest of you out there, go have a great day. Bye-bye now. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating its seventh year on Legal Talk Network with over a million listeners. Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. Today.